and the grace of Jesus Christ, that it changes everything. And that in those moments of time when you respond and react by faith, that God can turn your future into something better than you ever dreamed. And today we're going to begin to talk about Peter, who was known as an apostate. And we find in Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Verse 33, Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. Father God, as we begin to approach Your Word this morning, we recognize that it is the power of Your Word that transforms lives. And today You give me the privilege and the honor of being the mouthpiece for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would cleanse me and prepare me to deliver Your Word with an anointing that is absolutely necessary. And that Your Word, when it strikes the hearts and souls of Your people, would do something in such a way that it would have eternal results. And if there are those here this morning that are struggling with some of the things in their past, oh God, that they have battled with self-esteem and issues, things that they are never going to be worth anything in Your kingdom, that today, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would begin to lift up their chin so that they can turn their eyes upon You and have an intersection with the grace of Jesus Christ that will transform them from the failure and shame of the past to a glorious future with You. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter was an apostate. Now that's not a word that we use very much anymore, and that's probably a good thing. Because an apostate by definition is one who once walked in faith and then denied the faith. One who once walked with the Lord and then turned their back and walked away. One who declared that you can count on me and then was untrustworthy. Peter ducked out on Jesus. Peter denied Him. And everything that he stood for when folks started to mess with him a little bit. And the hard thing for Peter, and perhaps you know people like Peter, is Peter talked a good game. Any of you know people that just by their words you would think that nothing is ever wrong, they can't be defeated, that they just, they talk a good game in life, they talk a good game in faith. Peter was one of these. He knew how to say the right thing at the right time, he just could talk a good game about his relationship. He could frame his words in such a way that he could always elevate himself above others. There was a level of pride in Peter that no matter who he talked to, he could make others feel like they were being put down and just kind of elevate him. He was committed. He was dedicated. He was loyal. And he was proud of it. He was one of those who would say to Jesus, I'm your man if there's ever anything that needs to take place. And there was a great deal of pride in Peter. J. Oswald Sanders said pride is like this. Pride is like an onion. You take off one skin and you come to another. 
You take off that skin and you come to another. You take off that skin and you come to another. And all the while, it makes you cry. Pride is like that. So let's take a look at the story today as we have done through this series. And see what was happening in Peter's life that brought him to this place. Let's look to God's Word. A little history in Peter as he was born in Bethsaida, which is in Galilee, in Israel. And by profession, most of us know that have grown up in the church that he was a fisherman. His father was also a fisherman, either named John or Jonah, depending on which version of the Bible that you're reading. And both of them really are translated into the same word. His brother Andrew was an apostle also. And he and his brother Andrew, along with their partners, the apostles James and John, were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And Zebedee, the father of James and John, was also a partner. They had quite a business, this fishing business that they had. And Peter was one of the most prominent characters in the Gospels. If we were to picture what he might look like based on what we read about Peter, he was probably a rough and tumble type of guy. Mouthy, you would think. Always had something to say. He was probably quick with a comeback. One of those guys that you were never going to try to get anything over on him verbally. But it was also his mouth that got him into trouble. Any of you know anybody like that? Just checking. Because he was such an emotional man and so outgoing, he often got himself into trouble. But at the same time, he was clearly one of Jesus Christ's favorites. He just loved Peter for his big heart and maybe also for his big mouth. But there was something about him that just seemed to attract the attention of Jesus. Peter's true name was Simon. And with his brother Andrew, he was a follower of John the Baptist when they started this. And Andrew introduced Simon to the Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus renamed him Simon Cephas, or in the Aramaic word, which meant rock, or it's interpreted to us today as Peter, which is the Greek word for rock. It's his aggressiveness that made Peter so unusual. It was his aggressiveness that made him... A natural spokesman for the twelve, oftentimes when somebody needed to stand up and speak on behalf of the disciples, Peter was the first one up, maybe because everybody else would look at him expecting him to stand up, or maybe before anybody else had a chance to say a word, Peter stepped forward and said, I'll do this, man. Just the nature that he had. He often, often spoke before he thought. He often put his mouth into gear before his mind could keep up. He was a source of embarrassment many times. And early in his ministry, Simon Peter was one that loved only the Jews and only preached to the Jews. But God gave him a vision in Joppa of a huge sheet containing all types of animals, warning him not to call anything that was made by God impure. And Peter then went on to baptize the Roman centurion Cornelius in his household and understood and be it was a proclaimer that the gospel is for all people. And for that today, I am greatly thankful that I have been able to be grafted into the vine of Jesus Christ. Because Peter became a spokesman to beyond just the Jews. Peter was fascinating in some of the things that he accomplished. After being invited by Jesus on a night in a boat, got out of that boat and walked on the water. I wonder what that was like to have such faith to step out of a boat and even for a brief moment walk on water. 
Peter correctly identified Jesus as the Messiah in Matthew chapter 16, not through his own knowledge, but through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus looked at him and said, only the Holy Spirit could show you this. Peter was included in the inner circle of Jesus when he took Peter, James, and John into the house of Jairus. And Peter, with his own eyes, got to see a little girl raised from the dead. Had to stick in his mind some of the things that he saw. Peter was among those same three that Jesus chose to witness his transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. So it was no wonder that Peter began to feel like he was special because he was always being chosen. He's also the one who prompted the disciples to choose a replacement after Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus and Matthias was chosen, later named Matthew. After Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it was Peter, the one whom you would expect that stood up and indicated to us what it was like to preach under the baptism of the Holy Spirit as he was unafraid of arrest and persecution and preached a great message that 3,000 responded to. It was also Peter who healed a man who was over 40 years of age who had been crippled from birth with the words, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Most scholars consider Peter to be the eyewitness source for the Gospel of Mark, and he also penned the books, First and Second Peter. What a miraculous thing that Peter had seen as he walked with Jesus. Some of his strengths were that Peter was a fiercely, fiercely loyal man. And like the other 11 apostles, he left his occupation to follow Jesus for three years, learning from Him and about the kingdom of heaven. Peter gives us perhaps the greatest example of the difference of an individual before they are baptized in the Holy Spirit versus after they are baptized in the Holy Spirit as he goes from being one who would be afraid and cowering to having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, stood up unafraid and declared the testimony of Jesus Christ. You say, why is that important? Because I believe that we as a Pentecostal church, we may be a Pentecostal church, but there needs to be a personal Pentecost that takes place within each of us that allows us to have a boldness not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter in strength declared that fearlessly and became a great missionary. But Peter had weaknesses as well. He knew what it was like to live in fear and doubt. Anybody else ever experienced that? One thing to have the Word tell you that we need not to be afraid. Last week we had a marvelous time at the altar as we... We begin to see people set free from anxiety. And I want you to know something. It's one thing to be set free at the altar. It's another thing to walk back out into the real world and have the enemy begin to whisper in your ear that nothing has changed and know then that you need to grab hold of the promise of the Word of God. Peter, with all of his brashness and boldness, demonstrated many times that there was fear that would grip his heart and doubt. He let his passions rule him instead of faith in God. Peter made great pride in making promises to Jesus about his faithfulness only to be shattered to the realization that his personal failure would not let him live up to his words. And during Jesus' final hours, Peter not only abandoned Jesus, which would have been bad enough, but he denied him three times. So let's take a little bit of a deeper look at what happened in the life of Peter. I want you to know something. Spiritual pride and arrogance will always bring you down. The moment that you think that 
you are not capable of doing something that would damage your relationship with God, then you begin to walk in danger. The specific scene that I want to focus on is related in all four of the Gospels. Jesus was having a conversation with them. He was trying to prepare them because Jesus knew what was coming and they did not. And He's looking at these men around the table and He's beginning to try to to speak words into them that were going to begin to help them through what was going to be coming upon them within the next several hours. And it just seems as if perhaps they weren't getting it. And on the night before His crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples, you're going to struggle. Things are going to be tough. You're going to scatter. And all because of Me, you're going to end up running and you're going to scatter away. You're not going to have this unity that you have right now. And Peter didn't want to hear any of this. Peter would look at him and say, this is not going to happen. It was really the first time in the Bible where somebody calls Jesus a liar to his face. Peter says, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You have no idea that if you think we're going to scatter and run, if you think I'm going to leave you, then you're a liar. You have misread this situation. I would often wonder what the entire conversation may have been like because Peter was never at a lack for words and undoubtedly he said a number of things. But both Luke and Matthew record this response that we read within our text today in Matthew 26. Because Jesus told them this very night, He's looking at them saying, Guys, this is how close it is. On this very night, you will all fall away. He says, it's written that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And after I have risen, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter replied. And for those of you that have your Bibles with you and you may want to underline something. He begins with these words. And remember that he's sitting in this congregation with 11 other men that love Jesus as much as him that have been invested in. But Peter says this, if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Can you imagine how that made the others feel? In this group, maybe by now they knew that this was just Peter and they're all just shaking their heads going, oh, it's Peter again. But I can almost picture that he's so indignant that he stands up in this and he looks at Jesus and he's going, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. It's not going to happen that way. And maybe he looked around the room, well, you know, I'm seeing these other guys. Maybe they will. They have some weaknesses that I have recognized and perhaps they've come to your attention too. But Jesus, I'm as close to perfection as you're going to get. If all fall away on account of you, I never will, he declared. And then we have this recorded answer of Jesus. And I wonder what the attitude of Jesus was in this time. I wonder if Jesus raised his voice at Peter. And he said, truly, I tell you that this very night you're going to deny me. Or if he just said, Peter, I know you're feeling pretty good about your relationship and the strength of your walk, but I want you to know something. Your downfall is very close. Maybe he put his arm around him. He said, this strength that you're demonstrating right now, you're going to need on the rebound. But before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to disown me three times. 
Because the response of Peter again is indignant as he said, even if I have to die for you, I will never disown you. And then the other disciples all gathered and said, yeah, we too. Not us. You've trained us better than that. We will never disown you. Twelve men making a promise to God that He just told them they're not capable of keeping. However you choose to interpret Peter's response to Christ that night, one thing is certain. He was adamant that he was connected with Jesus through thick and thin and that nothing would ever happen. Little did he know how quickly he would be proven to be a liar. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 tells us that Jesus knew something that Simon Peter didn't. This is an important point for each of us because Jesus knows things about us that we don't know. There are things about your life and your future and what's ahead of you that you don't know that He does. But behind the realm, of the spiritual realm, there was something going on that Peter didn't know about that Jesus did. And he tells him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. As I did a little research on this verse this week, I discovered that the way that it is written in the original was that Simon was not the only one that Satan had asked to sift his wheat. He had asked the word sift you was a plural word, meaning Satan has asked to mess up the lives of you disciples. Looking around the room going, there's something going on in the spiritual realm that you don't understand. The enemy wants to come in and mess up your life. But he told Peter that when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I find that interesting when he indicates to Peter, not only are you going to fail three times, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something within you that's going to give you the strength to turn back. And when you come back, I'm not done with you. A principle that I don't want to gloss over here too quickly is this. Notice that Satan had to ask permission to bother with Christ's disciples. He couldn't just do it on his own. He had to ask the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings for permission to mess with them. And as you begin to look at that, we need to understand that as God's children, nothing can reach you without passing through God's hand. You are in the hand of God. And naturally we say, well, if we're in the hand of God, why doesn't He just say no? If Satan's asking, why doesn't Jesus just say, nope, you can't do that. Why does God allow things like that? And I know that's an issue that people struggle with and that maybe you do as well. Why does God allow Satan to mess with Peter? Why does God allow Satan to mess with the disciples in the first place? And why does He allow Him to mess with us from time to time as well? And the answer to this question is going to frustrate you if all you have is an earthly view of things. But when you begin to understand that there is an eternal perspective and that God is developing you and using you and growing you, then you begin to understand that there is a place in our life for trials that will begin to perfect us if we will just hang on in faith and trust that Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit will walk through you through anything. And that we will be presented perfectly before the Father. God desires that each of us would grow to maturity. We can't do that without trials. 
And so when God allows them in our life, He has a purpose. The struggles we face are not some random chaotic messes that may appear before us, but God always has a purpose for what He allows to take place. And sometimes, unfortunately, we miss it because we get too focused on our pain and we begin to blame God or we begin to say, what are you doing? Why aren't you coming through for me? And we just simply do not understand that He's got a higher purpose as we go through these things. And Peter needed to learn a lesson through a trial. As you begin to read the Scriptures about Peter, you begin to understand that Peter felt that he was above it all. Peter felt in his pride and his spiritual arrogance that these things will not happen to me because I am just too strong of a Christian. I'm too strong of an apostle. I am a leader. I've been in your chosen three. I've seen you raise people from the dead. Do you think that there's anything that I haven't been through with you that's going to cause me in fear to run from you? No way, Jesus. I'm above all that. And Jesus was about to tell him that through a trial, he wasn't who he thought he was. It was Peter's pride that opened the door for Satan to ask God's permission to mess him up. And when God allows Satan to influence us, it's for one of two reasons. And if you're in the middle of a trial today, you need to understand this. Number one, if Satan is messing with you, it's because the Lord wants to manifest a sin which you are unaware of or you have minimized so greatly in your mind that you don't realize how serious it is. Or number two, he wants to allow Satan to target us to stimulate our spiritual development and growth so that we will run to him faster and more strongly. I want you to know something. When I'm going through things, I pray more fervently. When things are going well in my life, the fervency level goes down a little bit. But boy, the, the moment something starts happening, I can get really fervent in prayer. Sometimes the Lord allows things like that so that we do that. But Peter was so confident in his own ability that he didn't take God's warning of failure seriously. Pastor Mark came in my office this week and we were talking about this. And I asked him, I said, what do you think we would do if Jesus sat down with us and looked us in the eye and said, you know, Mark and Doug, within 24 hours you guys are going to fail me. So we said we'd lock ourselves in a room and wouldn't see anybody. If we wanted to prove God wrong, I'm not going anywhere. I'm locking the door. I'm not going to say anything. I might not even read. You would think that Peter would have taken that warning so seriously that he would do everything. I mean, he was warned ahead of time and he still failed. Not Peter. He was defiant. He was confident as he could be. He says, even if everyone else exits on you, Jesus, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Matthew 26 Verses 69 through 74. Let me read this to you. Peter, knowing now he's been warned. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl, I love that, by the way. This is big, strong Peter. You would think if Satan was going to mess with him, it would be maybe a, a Roman guard. Somebody really big that would intimidate him. Yeah, let's start with this one. And a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. 
Then he went out to the gateway. So now he's running from the girl. When another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow is with Jesus of Nazareth. So now it's one girl, now it's another girl, and now she's raising her voice to call attention to it. This fellow is with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Kind of like some Texans I know. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered. Then Peter remembered. Why didn't he remember before? Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crowed, you will have disowned me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Satan often tries to bring us down in the areas that we feel strongest in. A number of years ago, I had several conversations with a family at a church that I used to minister at. And this family was very, very proud of the fact that nobody in their family had ever experienced divorce. They indicated that through their words and actions that they just felt a little bit above everybody else. And that when it came time for qualifications of offices in the church, they would always bring up, well, you know, there's a weakness in that family because they've, they've had divorce. Just a spiritual pride and arrogance. They had one son. And I remember the day that he got married, there was great rejoicing. I also remember I call I got three years later. And this young lady that he had married had drained everything they had in all of their accounts. And when the money was gone, looked at their son and said, I don't want you anymore. And he walked out. And she walked out. And the devastation that this family was going through. And I couldn't help but think back to some of the very prideful things that they had said. To the fact that our family is so strong spiritually, these things will never ever touch us. And recognize that disappointment in themselves as well as the situation in the, the weeping and the bitter, bitter weeping that took place when the one thing that they thought they were above began to strike their own family. Spiritual pride is a dangerous issue. And Satan will seek to sift us in the very things that we feel we can't be touched at. I can't tell you how many times I have seen people's attitudes go from great pride to great humiliation when Satan sifted them and messed them up in the one area that they thought they couldn't be touched. If there's anything that we can learn through this, it's that none of us are above falling. None of us are above failing. Cindy received a call this week from a precious friend from another part of the country that called that to say that after 30 years of being married at a point where they thought they had been beyond all the difficulties, her husband says, I don't want The weeping bitterly that comes from thinking we no longer are at a place where we need to invest in each other. We no longer are at a place we can live our separate lives in our own home and do our own things because after all this time, surely we're beyond the ability to be messed up. Satan attacks in the very air we begin to think we just cannot be touched. 
The result of coming face to face with the realization that he had done something that he never thought he could do was that he wept bitterly and cried like a baby. And as we begin to look upward in this, as I mentioned, this is mentioned in all the Gospels, but there is something in John that really is interesting. In John, the 21st chapter, and you can take your Bibles if you have them and turn there. There's something really interesting that takes place here. I would like to start by reading the last two verses of the 20th chapter of John, and then I want to point something out to you. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Does that sound like a conclusion to you? Does that not sound like a great place to end a book? Theologians have debated this for generations as to why the 20th chapter of John with these two verses was not the end of the book. Because it was almost like John has two chapters that conclude it. It was almost like he wrote two different ones and couldn't decide which one to put in. And so you have these two verses at the end of John that kind of outlines the whole thing that the book was about and said, not only do we write about these things, but Jesus did a whole lot of other things that we didn't even get in the book that people would believe on His name. And then, boom, at the end of it, there's another chapter. I want to tell you why I believe there's another chapter. It's because Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wanted to make sure that we knew that our failures were not fatal. That there's redemption after our failures. And so... We begin to take a peek at what it says in chapter 21, which is literally a story about the restoration of how Peter comes back. The previous verses would have been a great ending to the book. In fact, the Gospel of John really doesn't need the 21st chapter if it weren't for the fact that you need to hear about what happened to Simon Peter. And so we get to chapter 21. And we begin to recognize that Simon Peter is now the central figure of this chapter. He's not the star because at this point in time, he no longer feels like a star. He just feels like a failure. He feels like he's let the Lord down. He did things he never thought he could do. He looked himself in the mirror and he says, I can't believe that after you were warned you would do this and you promised you wouldn't, you still did it. And suddenly he recognized how frail he is. Peter, in that moment of time, does something that so many of us do when we experience failure in our life, we decide to go back to what we know. As you look around here today, I want you to know something. There have been literally thousands of people that have come through these doors through the years in the history of this church that have given their hearts to the Lord. Many of them have experienced a failure in faith at one point or another, and some of them never came back because they chose to go back to what they knew before. In the middle of being sifted and having the protection that they thought would always hold them shaken away from them, they chose to go fishing again and not respond to the voice of the Lord to call them back. And we read in John chapter 21, I want to read the first 17 verses as I get ready to conclude. That after Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Here's the story. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, 
The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we're going with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. You talk about failure upon failure. Not only are they depressed, but now they can't even do what they used to do well. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, or John speaking to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat. Uh, Can you imagine that scene? Maybe Peter's the only one that knew how to swim. But there was something within Peter who could not wait to get back into the presence of the Lord. I do love that about him. That he wouldn't let guilt rob him of forgiveness. He wouldn't let shame and failure keep him from the one he loved. So Peter jumps out of the boat. The rest of them are calling in names and they begin to row after him. Said the other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish. That's just just like Peter. He leaves them with all the work. For they are not too far from shore and about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore, full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he'd been raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. We look at this and there's a couple of things I want to point out to you about this. There's only two times in the Bible that the term burning coals or charcoal fire are used. The phrase is used once as Peter was standing around a charcoal fire the night in which he betrayed Jesus when the girl first approached him. First time it's ever mentioned. And why they indicated then... What kind of fire it was, I do not know. But the second time that charcoal fire is mentioned is the time when Peter comes home and Jesus brings him back to a familiar place around the fire. And Jesus forgave him and took him back in the very setting that the failure had taken place. Second thing about this conversation that's interesting to note is Peter's use 
of the term. As you know, there's three words for love in Greek. The term phileo is one of friendship. Agape is one of unconditional love. Peter had been one that declared an unconditional love, but when Jesus is speaking to him here, Peter, rather than using the term agape when Jesus is talking to him, backs off. And finally, Peter in humility begins to know what he's capable of. And when Jesus is saying, do you love me? He's going, yes, I love you. I'm not going to brag anymore, Jesus, about how I'm undefeatable. I'm backing off some of those statements. And he asked him three times, and three times Peter answers, now knowing what I'm capable of, Lord, I love you with everything I have within me. And Jesus had not given up on Simon. And Simon's failures would not be the last word. In fact, as far as I can tell, the only difference between Simon Peter and Judas is that Judas took matters into his own hands and Simon stuck around long enough to come back and enjoy forgiveness. The only difference when both of them were sifted. So this morning, what does that mean to us as we look reflectively? Well, you see, there's a bit of Simon Peter in all of us. We may not want to admit it, There's a side of us that really doesn't think that we're capable of being defeated completely. There's a side of us that also is filled with denial, if not betrayal, and the urge to live life on our own terms and not to be concerned about the others around us. And maybe after you fail in your area of spiritual life where you think you were untouchable, you decide it would be better if you just went back to what you once knew before. So maybe you went back to your old life or your old crowd or your old club and you begin to hang around again. But just like Peter, after going back, you realize that after a long night of catching nothing, that there's no joy and there's no satisfaction in the life that you once lived. And you knew and you know today that you're missing something. And today I want to tell you something. Jesus wants you back. Jesus wants you back. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Jesus wants you back. He's been praying for you. That your failure would not be fatal. That you'd be so dissatisfied in going back to the places you were before that it would be your motivation for come running back to Jesus. Don't let a personal setback in your faith cause you to wander away from good. Because if you have ever failed God, if you've ever denied Him, dismissed Him, doubted Him, ignored Him, or just plain left Him, and if, like Peter, you have a sign on your heart that said, I've just gone fishing, then I want you to listen to the familiar voice today of Jesus on the shore calling you and saying, ready for you to come back. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would please come. It's not too late. It's not too late. Jesus wants you back. There's a destiny that awaits you when you get past the dirtiness of your denial. When you get past the walking away from faith. Some of you think it's too late. I want you to know today is the day to have breakfast with Jesus.